As an author and a physician, I.W. Gregorio seeks to promote good health in body and in mind. On Banned Books Week, she says, every banned book is a missed opportunity to treat the spread of misinformation and misunderstanding. Welcome to Copyright Clementine's podcast series. I'm Christopher Keneally for Beyond the Book. The American Library Association is calling attention to book banning again, and the titles pulled off library shelves last year range from the sublime to the ridiculous. Andrew Albanese, Publishers Weekly senior writer, joins me each Friday with a review of the week in publishing. He's here now with all the uncensored news. Welcome back to Beyond the Book, Andrew. Hey there, Chris. Well, well indeed, it is uh, Banned Books Week this week when the American Library Association runs down the most challenged books in America and highlights uh, in that way the importance of free speech. So, so what tops the list this year? Well, I have some good news for Dave Pilkey, or maybe it's not such good news, but for once, Captain Underpants, uh, his whole Captain Underpants series did not actually crack the top 10 uh, most challenged books. And, you know, that's actually a relief for those of us who think that the American tradition of, you know, laughing and humor is something that our children might want to continue. Uh, I have those books at home. My kids are just old enough to start really getting into them. And uh, yeah, they're a little body, but they're really fun. And I certainly don't understand what all the fuss is about. Uh, but topping the list for 2015 for the most challenged book, none other than Looking for Alaska by John Green, which was cited for offensive language, a little too sexually explicit for his age group. Uh, and second was Fifty Shades of Grey by E.L. James. And I, I guess I don't need to say why that book is on the list. It's uh, also maybe a little too sexually explicit for its age group. Uh, but, but one of the common complaints that was listed here, uh, which I got a kick out of, was that it was poorly written. And if we're going to start pulling books off library shelves for being poorly written, boy, we're really going to be in trouble. Transgender teen uh, activist Jazz Jennings, her bio, I Am Jazz, also made the list, uh, as was Susan Cookland's Beyond Magenta, Transgender Teen Speak Out. Both of them were cited as, quote unquote, anti-family. And Two Boys Kissing by David Levitan was also on the list this year. Uh, and, you know, homophobia and trans issues, these were really sort of the major drivers of book challenges in America in 2015. Amazingly, so too was religion and books that have a religious bent to them. Incredibly, the Holy Bible somehow made it onto the list, though I really doubt that anyone in America is pulling Bibles off shelves. Yeah, I rather doubt that too. And, you know, of course, there's, there's a temptation here to chuckle a bit about this. And there's also this weird sort of inverse popularity contest uh, that goes on with these banned books. But there is a, a serious side to this. This is important stuff because it does uh, really impact uh, freedom of speech, freedom of expression. And and you have a piece on the PW website by Harper Collins, author, young adult author, I.W. Gregorio, and about her own experience uh, with a book called None of the Above. Tell us about that. Yeah, indeed. It's a really great, frank, uh, and important piece, I think, by Gregorio, uh, who writes about her debut novel, which was called None of the Above, uh, which revolved around characters that defied the traditional gender binary, sort of, they were intersex, it was an intersex character in the book. Uh, now, Gregorio in this piece knows that initially when her book was released, she didn't face any real pushback. And that was probably because she's a doctor and she was able to sort of discuss the science behind her intersex character's biological condition. But then she says it started and it started with something, a disturbing trend that we're seeing more and more of in this country. She was actually disinvited 
from a school visit in Tennessee. And she writes that as she tried to process, you know, why that invitation was withdrawn, she wondered, you know, what kind of educator turns away the opportunity to educate? What kind of administrator can't be bothered to introduce students to topics that are going to make them think and think critically across a number of different disciplines? And what kind of person would deny a child or youth any kind of literature that's going to increase openness and tolerance. You know, and she goes on in the piece to ask the right questions, I think. And she concludes that books, and especially the kind of books that delve into the tough topics that today's young people are being exposed to pretty much with every news cycle on TV, that these books actually save lives. And I think she's right. And of course, in fact, it's often the most at-risk population populations, I should say, whose stories are being banned from library shelves with regularity. So it's really a terrific piece. It's emotional, very strongly reasoned, uh, and it really draws the right conclusion for Banned Books Week. And that is, you know, you can take it from someone like Gregorio, who's both a physician and a writer. Every banned book she writes is a missed opportunity to treat. All right. Well, listen, there's some other library news from that uh, rather famous library uh Uptown from where you are at your offices at PW, it's a developing story about the New York Public Library, which had been up to now a real pioneer in digital library services. And the news is that NYPL is shutting down one of its most innovative new divisions. Tell us what's going on. Yes, that's true. Indeed, we learned this week that the New York Public Library's NYPL Labs division is essentially uh, shutting down its division, uh, though that's not exactly what N- NYPL executives are saying right now, though they're not really saying much on the record. But, you know, for our listeners who may not know, uh, NYPL Labs uh, is a division that was chartered by the library to explore how to best digitally link up NYPL's vast collections for patrons. You know, it had great stuff, and its mandate was sort of to reformat and reposition the library's uh, knowledge for the internet age through a whole range of apps and and different digital collections, uh, which it did very well, I must say. You know, if you visit the NYPL uh, website and you check out the NYPL Labs page, you'll see this ton of great projects and great stuff that they were working on. And I might add, they've also partnered nationally with other libraries and other library groups to work on a range of apps and services. Uh, The NYPL Labs people were actually considered leaders in digital innovation coming out of the library world. Uh, And in fact, the labs actually was leading the way in building the Open eBooks app, which was, I think we've talked about this before in the show, with the support of the Obama administration designed to deliver free eBooks to low-income kids nationwide. And I've seen NYPL staff deliver talks about that at various conferences over the years, over the last two years anyway. I wonder where that all is going to be left now. But the NYPL Lab's dream, from where I'm sitting, appears to be, if not over, then at least seriously changing. Uh, and I learned, and I can confirm today, that much of the staff actually started uh, jumping ship a little over a year ago. And this week, I can confirm that the, the key leadership of NYPL Labs has been terminated. That includes Mary Lou Kennedy, Ben Vershbo, and Micah May, who I hear was just terminated yesterday. Um, so this story is still very much unfolding as we speak, and we'll have more on this next week on the PW website that readers can check out. But my sources are telling me that as it stands, the labs have been sort of reorganized out of existence and that its key staff, leadership at least, have been terminated. Though I'm hearing from some that the bulk of the staff still remains. And there was this 
cryptic tweet and a statement from NYPL Labs uh, administrators saying that the work of NYPL Labs isn't going anywhere, that it's absolutely going to be part of NYPL's future. And I would expect them to start spinning that they're just going to try to reintegrate this digital division more deeply within the regular uh, infrastructure of NYPL. But I think there was a reason why they chartered it separately in the first place. So I'm not sure exactly how that's all going to work. Uh, we'll continue to follow the story, see where this is going to go in the future. And uh, we can you can keep up with it all on the PW website uh, today and starting next week. All right. So uh, indeed, uh, whether or not the uh, NYPL Labs has a future, we certainly have a future here with Andrew Albanese. He'll be back next week on Beyond the Book. Thanks for joining us. My pleasure, as always. Sheikh Bodur al Kasim. He is both founder and CEO of Kalimat Group, based in the Emirate of Sharjah, one of the states of the United Arab Emirates. In 2014, she became the first Arab woman to be elected to serve in the Executive Committee of the International Publishers Association. She is also the founder and patron of the Emirates Publishers Association. As Bodur tells me on the next episode of Beyond the Book, publishing for her is a passion and a profession. In the late 2000s, there were very few initiatives uh, in the Arab world concerned with publishing or reading. We really didn't have that culture or that uh, industry. And to see us now, a very small country, the United Arab Emirates, uh, leading the way in the region and, uh, you know, supporting uh, content creation, supporting publishers, it's really remarkable to see how much has changed in the past 15 years. It's actually wonderful. And it's done with a collective mindset of, of working together and promoting it from the grassroots level, working with writers, with publishers, uh, and getting passionate about it as well. That's coming up on the next episode of Beyond the Book, an interview with Sheikh Bodur El Kasimi. Beyond the Book is produced by Copyright Clearance Center with its subsidiaries Rights Direct in the Netherlands and Ixis in the United Kingdom. CCC is a global leader in content workflow, document delivery, text and data mining, and rights licensing technology. You can follow Beyond the Book on Twitter, like us on Facebook, and subscribe to the free podcast series on iTunes or at our website, beyondthebook.com. Our engineer and co-producer is Jeremy Brisky of Burst Marketing. I'm Christopher Keneally. Join us again soon on Beyond the Book. Thank you.